Well, welcome to our broadcast today. The wonderful words of life were for the next 30 minutes. You and I are going to be studying the Word of God together. So I want to welcome you. We're in Hebrews in chapter 12 of this session. But before we begin, let's hear from the psalmist. Actually, this is from Nehemiah. Blessed be the glorious name, your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that in them is, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Amen. Let's go ahead and do that. Heavenly Father, we worship you today in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy that's been showered upon us. Lord, what foreign kind of love that you have bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Hallelujah. And Father, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, Holy Spirit, come alongside of us and help us in this session. Lord, cause our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to understand. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, before we get into Hebrews chapter 2, I want to go back to the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1 because there's some things in here that I think that we need to uh, look at, especially concerning, uh, and we'll use this, I guess, as an introduction to Hebrews chapter 2. But let me go ahead and read the text. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise God. Now, there are seven things that Paul mentions concerning the majesty and the greatness of Christ. And I want, I want us to go through these real quick. First of all, Paul says that Christ has been appointed heir of all things. And I like the, uh, the words all things because it reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 5. You know, I mean, in chapter two, verses five through 11. And I love it when he says that that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Amen. So when Christ has uh, when Paul says that Christ has been appointed heir of all things, He's speaking of all things in heaven, all things in earth, and all things under the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. He is the heir of our salvation, and we're going to study that when we get into chapter 2. Now, the second thing Paul mentions is that by whom or by him he made the worlds. This is speaking of Jesus Christ as the second person of the Godhead, the only one that has the power to create. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. But now Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says that Jesus, by whom he made all the way he made the worlds. He says it right here, by whom he made the worlds. 
Paul says over in Colossians, there was not anything that was made that was made, not made by him. Praise God. So we see him as the perfect God man. Hallelujah. Now, the third thing is that he is the brightness of God's glory. Now, not only does Christ reflect the glory of God, he is the original source of the glory of that glory. In other words, amen. The glory of God, because he's God himself. Amen. Now, verse four, I mean, uh, the fourth thing, he is the express image of his person or God's person. He is the exact likeness. All that God's son is and does marks him as God. Hallelujah. Amen to that. The fifth thing is that he upholds all things by the word of his power. That Christ is so perfect. He is so complete. A representation of God's nature that he emanates and exercises the omnipotence that's equal to Jehovah in the Old Testament. Amen. Everything that Jehovah is in the Old Testament embodies Jesus in the New Testament. Now, these first five things talk and speak to us about what Christ is. These next two things speak to us of what Christ does. Now, look at the sixth thing. When he had by himself purged our sins, by himself. Amen. He had no cooperation from any other source. What he did for us, he did all alone. Amen. And the seventh thing is that after he had purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you're working, you're out in construction or you're doing something, you're standing up, you're walking all day long. Amen. And most of us, when we're finished, the first thing we do is we sit down. Why? Because our work is done for the day. Amen. Now, you may be at your desk, but you don't stay at your desk all the time. You're up walking, getting around. But listen, when you clock out, first thing you do is you go sit down. You sit down in your car and go home. And then when you get home, you sit down on your couch or your easy chair and you relax. Your work is done for the day. Amen. So when Paul mentions how that Christ sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, that means that he has sat down. His work is finished. All that Jesus is going to do concerning your salvation, your Holy Spirit baptism, your sanctification has already been done. It's already been accomplished. Amen. Christ has already done that. That work is finished. Now it's time for you and I to appropriate that work into ourselves, our spirit, our mind, our soul, and our body. Praise God. Amen. And so basically, in Hebrews chapter 2 now, we're continuing on our study, and Paul is going to be comparing, once again, the supremacy of Christ over the angels. But now we're getting into another area in this second chapter. And I've entitled... Uh, this first section, the greatness of our salvation through Christ. Paul now is going to begin to talk about how that the angels could not save us. They minister to us, but they cannot save us. However, Christ has. Amen. Praise God. All right. Uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter two, verse one. Now, this is the first section, first four verses talking about the greatness of our salvation through Christ. Amen. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, to me, this is a very, very important verse, because what it tells us is that 
the superiority of the words that were given to the prophets in the Old Testament, the superiority of the words of Jesus over the words of the prophets. See, Jesus fulfilled the words of the prophets. But we still go back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament is still God's revelation. Amen. But the higher revelation is the Lord Jesus, the words that he spoke. Amen. And the words that he's still speaking to us today. So let's read this again. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, the Greek word for give means to hold the mind towards something. Keep your mind fastened on something. So that's what Paul is telling us. Amen. The word that we have been taught, the words of Jesus we have been taught, we hold our mind to them. We keep our mind on them. Now, the Greek word earnest, more earnest means to a greater degree. So we hold our mind to a greater degree and we take heed. That's the third word I want to talk about. It's the same Greek word as the word give. And it basically means to give heed, give heed, give heed more earnestly to the things which Jesus spoke to us. And you know as well as I do, uh, when you were in high school, there was things that you studied and you got real proficient at it. But after you graduated from high school and you got into college, you probably studied some more to a deeper degree. But when you got out of college, there were things that uh, when you started in your career, you didn't necessarily need anymore. I'm thinking of like the preamble of the Constitution. You most likely had to memorize the preamble of the Constitution when you're in high school. But you haven't thought about the preamble for quite a long time. And I, I, I would bet that you could not uh, speak uh, the preamble from memory. Now, you'd have to go back and you'd have to review, see, because you haven't taken heed the preamble. Over time, your mind forgets these things. And the reason why is because we leak. We're leakers. Amen. Our mind leaks. Wouldn't it be a tremendous gift and a blessing if we had total recall of everything that we've read, everything that's been spoken to us? Amen. But that's not true in many of our cases. Most of our cases, we have to continually review, 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 review by repetition and keep these things in our mind. And that's exactly what G what Paul is saying here, that we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest in any time we should let them slip. Once you have the word of God in your heart and in your mind and it's fresh in your mind. Amen. And you've meditated that. You've gone over that over and over and over and over again through repetition. When false doctrine or somebody comes along with some new revelation, you'll know right away, you know, that's not the spirit of God. That, that can't be right. That can't be right. And you'll know it because the word of God is talking to you, is teaching you. And the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that that stuff is just not true. All right. Verse two. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Now, listen to this. The word spoken by angels. Now, we know that angels were definitely involved as messengers in the Old Testament. We know that the angels were messengers in the New Testament. We think about Cornelius. We think about some others. But what Paul is saying here, you see, is that the Jews... Uh, and, and I can certainly understand why they would think that because they have scripture for it. 
You know, it was entrusted to angels to bring to them the messages of God, which is the law. Amen. Remember the angel of the Lord that followed Israel in the wilderness? Remember the angel of the Lord that went before them into the promised land? Remember the angels that had spoken to uh, the children of Israel when they were backsliding? Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Now, once again, let's read this verse. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. See, the revelation of the Old Testament is still revelation to us. The fact that it has been fulfilled in Christ. Now, Christ is a higher revelation. That's true. Amen. Hallelujah. So we trust the Holy Spirit, but we know that the, the foundation of the New Testament is based in the Old Testament. Amen. So we don't throw the Old Testament away. There's there's many great lessons and there's many things to be learned in the Old Testament. And if we don't spend time there, we'll never know them. So the Old Testament was given by Yahweh or by Jehovah. And it was given to the angels. And many, uh, many times angels ministered or gave these messages uh, to men. Amen. But now what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about if the word that was given to the to the Old Testament saints by angels was steadfast. And if their disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Verse three, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? The answer is no. We're not. We, we will not escape. Sinners today will not escape if they neglect this great salvation. Those who turn back, they're neglecting that great salvation. What are they? What's going to happen to them when they stand before the Lord? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm dealing with a cold. So no, the answer is no. How can we escape? We can't. We cannot escape. That's why it's so important for us just to. Consecrate ourselves to go on with the things of God, to go on with the Lord every day, to increase in the things of God, be further along in the things of the Lord next year than we are this year, this year than we were last year. Amen. Praise God. And then verse four says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Now, we know this. Now, what Paul is talking about here in verse three and verse four is the entire period of time uh, from Jesus arrest to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, to his ascension, to the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church and going through the entire book of Acts. Amen. There is testimony that God's word is true and that Jesus is the provider of great salvation. Amen. Praise God. And so for people to refuse that. Let me ask you a question. What else can God do? He's revealed himself through the scriptures and through eyewitness accounts. He's revealed to himself by dream and by vision. The word of God has never been disproved. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament, New Testament continues to be confirmed and affirmed that, yes, it is accurate. Yes, it is the truth. What else is Jesus going to do? He has preachers preaching the gospel every Sunday all over this globe, day and night. 
The gospel is on radio. The gospel is on television. It's on satellite. It's beamed all over this world. Let me tell you, let me ask you a question. What else is God going to do? I'm telling you, those that neglect salvation in Christ Jesus, they're going to have to stand before God. They are not without witness. Amen. That would be unjust of God to demand something of somebody to do something without a just witness. God has made just witness in his son. Amen. In the church, in the gospel, he has made just witness. So and like what Paul said in Acts chapter 17 is God that's commanding men everywhere to repent. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Now we're going to verse five. And this last section here, we're going to be talking about the greatness of the captain of our salvation. Amen. Verse five for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. The world to come is the world where we're going to enter into. It's going to be the, the world that begins with the millennium and goes on into the eternal state. Amen. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. They're going to be a part of this world, but that world was not designed for them. See, angels were never made to rule. The church was made to rule with Christ. This right was given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has given this to the church. The church rules and reigns on this earth in, in his kingdom. Jesus is the head and we are his body. Angels, what are they? Well, chapter 1, verse 14 tells us they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. That's their ministry. The angels that left their first estate, they left that ministry. They took things unto themselves that they were not ordained to, and God judged them, and now they're forever in chains of darkness. There is no possibility of redemption for fallen angels. God has only given the human race that grace to fall away, but then be renewed again. Amen. Praise God. All right. Verse six. For one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. All right, this is uh, Paul's quote from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Now, we have to understand this, that the first man, Adam, was given dominion over the earth. Adam and Eve were given dominion. Behold, I have given you dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth. So when Paul says, but now we see not yet all things put under him, Paul is speaking here of the fact that Adam lost that dominion because of sin, yielded it up to the devil, and the devil became the god of this world. But it's not going to stay that way because the last Adam came, who is Christ, and he's begun the restoration that not only will ruin the devil in the kingdom of darkness, but will ruin sin and destroy it and remove it forever from the universe. Praise God. Amen. 
That's why Jesus called this time, he called it the, when the regeneration, talking about the, the millennial reign where God will begin to restore all things. Now, he's already started that. He's already started the restoration of the universe by starting in you and starting in me through the new birth. We've been born again. We've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. But now verse 9 says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Amen. Hallelujah. But we see Jesus who was made. Now, I like that who was made a little lower than the angels due to the fact that he took upon himself the likeness of human flesh. Amen. He willingly subjected himself, humbled himself. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter two. He humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. Amen. But it was just temporary. It was just for the 33 and a half years that he walked on the face of this earth. And he did it. Why? He did it so that he would taste death for every man. Notice the substitution. Jesus died for you and for me and not for only you and I, but for the whole world. And he has been crowned with glory and honor. Angels have not been crowned with glory and honor, but the Lord Jesus has. Verse 10, it says, for it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Notice this, for it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. Talking about God. Well, if it's talking about God the Father, it's also talking about God the Son. Because it says, to make the captain of their salvation Perfect through sufferings. That word perfect. Amen. Perfect. Notice this. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul talks about Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. The word author and the word captain come from the same Greek word. And that Greek word means to be an originator. He was the origin of our salvation. That's why Paul calls him the captain of our salvation. He is the originator of it. In other words, he is the one that led off. First begotten of the dead, first born from the dead. Amen. He would have preeminence and the first fruits of the resurrection. One leading off a leader or a prince. So Jesus is the author of our salvation, and he's also the one who leads the sons of God. Amen. Praise God. Verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth. Well, in order for somebody to sanctify somebody, they've got to be sanctified. Jesus sanctified at no time. Did Jesus ever become a sinner? I actually heard a TV preacher say that Jesus became a sinner. At no time did Jesus ever become a sinner. Even when he was made sin, he was not made a sinner. He was the innocent, amen, suffering for the guilty. And you and I were the guilty. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one by which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Isn't that interesting? Saying, notice this, verse 12, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. 
in the midst of the church will I sing praise to thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Romans chapter 8 tells us that there is no condemnation to the child of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are called in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And then further on down, Paul says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's exactly what these two verses are talking about. He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. And in the midst of the church, I will sing praise to thee. And then he says in the previous church that he is not ashamed to call you and I brethren. We're brothers in, uh, we're brothers in Christ, but we're also brothers of Christ. Now, he's the elder brother. We're the younger brothers. Praise God. We're the ones that come up behind. But still, there is that unmistakable uh, relationship that we have with God the Father through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. And I don't think you'd want to get out of the family. I know I don't. I tell you, I'm in this family for all eternity. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Amen. See, children, partakers of flesh and blood. He also became a partaker of, or actually what Paul said was, he was made in the likeness of human flesh. Amen. He's so much other than what we are. But still, he was born of a woman, born of a virgin. Amen. Just like you and I are. Praise God. Yet without sin. Now, there's three terms here that I want us to see, actually four of them. When Paul said that he might destroy him, that, that word, that Greek word there is katargeo. And what it means, it means to be or to render entire, entirely idle or useless. A good word would be to paralyze. See, the effect that Satan used to have over us concerning death has been removed. Now, death is solely in the hands of Almighty God. Now, you and I are going to die one day. That's part of the curse suffered because of the fall of Adam. Amen. But you and I, our bodies are just going to be laid in the graves, but not our soul and not our spirit. Because if we depart, we're going to be with Christ. Amen. Praise God. We're coming back with him one day. Amen. Now, if he, if he comes in the rapture and we're raptured before we die, we're going to be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye. And we're going to be fought and we're, we're going to be raised, risen. Praise God. We're going to be with him forever. Praise God. The second word is power or kratos. And that means dominion, might, power and strength that he might paralyze him that had the dominion over death. He's paralyzed. Satan doesn't have the rule over death any longer. Who has it? Jesus. Remember Jesus when he was talking to the churches in the book of Revelation? He says, I have the keys of death and hell. He wrestled them away from the devil. Praise God. Those three days he went down into the heart of the earth. He preached to the spirits in prison, but he also contended against the devil and all his demons. Praise God. And he overpowered them and he wrested from the devil the keys to death and to hell. Praise the Lord. Amen. Of course, death is the Greek word thanatos. And that's just exactly what it means. It means death. But now the word devil 
is diabolos. And of course, diabolos is translated false accuser, devil, slanderer, talking about Satan. So that through death, he might paralyze him, the devil, that had the dominion over death. See, Satan doesn't have dominion over death anymore. Jesus does, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. See, Satan doesn't have any power over you. You've been raised up. You've been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and everything that is named. You and I are in Christ. If Christ is raised up, then we were raised up with him. That's what Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. All right, verse 15. And deliver him through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. You don't need to be afraid of death. If you're a born again child of God, do not fear death. Praise God. Death is already in the hands of Christ. Amen. You don't have to be afraid of that. Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now, this verse has caused a lot of problems. But basically, uh, when the King James uh, translators, when they put in the nature of on him, the nature of, uh, they added that. That's not in the original text. But we can understand why uh, they put that in there, because this is how Robertson translates this verse. For verily not to angels doth he give help. But he giveth help to the seed of Abraham. Today's English version translated, For it is clear that it is not the angels that he helps. Instead, he helps the descendants of Abraham. Angels don't need help. Those that fall, they're fallen forever. They're never be redeemed. Those that did not rebel are one-handed ferociously uh, committed to Christ and to God. Amen. They'll never be turned. Never, 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 never. They're fiercely devoted to the things of God. They hearken only to the word of God. The person or the people or the beings that need help were us. We were the ones that were fallen. Amen. It wouldn't do Jesus any good to take upon himself, amen, the body of an angel. Angel, that wouldn't help. He took on the body of the likeness of, of sinful flesh and for sin was condemned in the flesh. Wherefore, golly, God recognizing that just deed, highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Praise God. All right, let's finish out these last two verses. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. We'll talk more about that next time. Heavenly Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. 
We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.